Well, I just want to thank all of you for being here today. I'm really excited to preach Easter Sunday. Um, I know that you guys have a plans going on. I know some of, someone here has a 12:30 reservation at Carabas. I can just I can feel it. Um, so we're gonna be we're gonna be short today. Um, I just got a few few things I want to share with you. But before I get started, I do want to say thank you to everyone who was here last week. Um, at the end of service, we concluded with worship, and, and that worship went pretty long. Um, you know, usually when, when God's Spirit's moving, there's some individuals that just want to stay back, and, and they're being ministered to by God. And there's others who want to move on with their day. They feel satisfied with what God has done. And uh, that presents an interesting situation where you have some people who want to have conversations and some people who are still worshiping, and there's nothing wrong with either side of that camp. But it's just an interesting situation. But uh, last week, I want to say thank you to all of you because... We, we maintained a respectful uh, atmosphere of worship in here. Um, and so those of you who were moving on, you went out to the foyers, you went out to the parking lot, and those who were still here in worship were able to worship in, in, in peace and in quiet. So on behalf of the pastoral staff uh, and, the, and the deacons as well, I just want to say thank you to all of you uh, for allowing us to just continue to, to let God to, uh, minister to those who are being ministered. So thank you so much for that. Uh, if this is your first time with us in a while, you're stepping into the second week of a uh, series that I've been asked to, to lead us through called Participation Trophies. Um, yeah, I'm kind of poking fun a little bit at Participation Trophies. Uh, you see, the, the culture has created this new mantra, this new mindset that all it takes to succeed is just to, to show up. And that's what we see a lot with, with youth sporting events, is now if you just show up to the game, uh, it doesn't matter if your team wins or not, but you get a trophy for showing up. If you've had fun, then you've won. These are actual taglines that are on different trophies that, that, uh, that kids are getting uh, nowadays. And, and I believe that this was actually an invention of the trophy companies. You know, it's, think about it. You're, you're only able to sell to 10% of the market when you're selling to the winners only. But if you can redefine what it means to win, well, then you could give trophies to everybody. And so now winning is just showing up to succeed. And, and truthfully, the reason why this is an issue is because it's, if that wants to stay out in, the, in culture, that's fine. That's totally fine. But when that finds its way into the church, then we have an issue. Um, because the Bible has a whole different definition of what it means to participate. And just showing up is, is not consistent with that. And so that's why we're moving through this series. I really feel convicted that God wants to take us deeper in our understanding of what it means to participate. And I want to be clear, I'm not referring to, this is not about salvation. This is not about going to heaven. That's not what, what this is about. This is about what is, it, what is the normal Christian life? What does it mean to participate in the normal Christian life? And, and it's much more than just, just showing up to church. And so that's why we are moving through this series. And I want to read for us our core passage that we're moving from. It's Philippians 3, 10 through 11. And this is what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's a reason why this is our key passage for the entire series. It's because this is the definition of what it means to participate. Paul makes it very clear. There's action involved. There is no just showing up. It requires something of us. It's costly. It's sacrificial. And it's life-changing. Now, before I move on, I just want to point something out. I want to point out Paul's passion to participate in Christ. He was very passionate about wanting to take on the resurrection, to take on the death, and, and to take on the life of Christ. And, 
And as I was studying this, you know, I was just thinking through the life of Paul. Many of you probably know uh, a bird's eye view of, of Paul's life. Paul was considered an apostle. And the prerequisite for being an apostle was that you had to see the resurrected Christ. Now, the, the apostles, uh, the disciples that walked with Christ, they all saw the resurrected Christ at the same time. They were all together, except Thomas, but then he also sees the resurrected Christ after that. So they, they, were, they were a bunch together. They were, they were a friend group, per, per se, and they all saw the resurrected Christ at the same time. But then, sometime later, you have the apostle Paul. And he's not with those disciples. In fact, when those disciples encountered the resurrected Christ, Paul was actually on the other team. He was doing the persecution. He was the one that actually hated Christians at the time. So between that time when the disciples see Christ and then the time when Paul sees the resurrected Christ, some time has passed. And so you pick up this, this feeling as you read about Paul that Paul kind of felt like an outsider. Even though he was an apostle, he did see the resurrected Christ, even though he was commissioned by Jesus to go and preach the gospel, he always seemed to feel like an outsider because he didn't experience it the exact same way that the rest of them did. But what I see here is that I see Paul's heart saying, even if I wasn't there when he was arrested, even if I wasn't there when he was put on trial, even if I wasn't there when Jesus was put on the cross, even if I was on the other team at the time, I still have an opportunity now. I still have an opportunity now, and it's not too late. And I just want to share this with you before we get going. If there's anybody in this place that feels like it's too late, like I've done something that has eliminated me from participating in the life of Jesus, from accepting Jesus, you need to know that's a lie from the enemy. It's not true. If the Apostle Paul can say, I will participate in the life of Christ after all he did, after all the time that had passed, then you too can participate in the life of Christ no matter what you have done or no matter how many times you feel like you miss the opportunity, it's alive from the enemy. And that opportunity is still alive and well today. We need to be a church that's like Paul. That looks at the resurrection and his response is, how can I get in on that? How can I get in on that? You know, there's a lot of churches right now that are they're celebrating Easter Sunday. And there's a lot of churches that are, they're stuck in the commemorating mode. And that's good. We need to commemorate the things that have happened. But we need to let commemoration lead to participation. We need to look at what has happened and then be like Paul and say, how can I get in on that? I'm not just going to look at what has happened. I'm going to say, how can I join in on that? Commemoration has to lead to participation. And there's two things that Paul brings up in Philippians 3. He brings up, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then in verse 11, he says, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we have the power of his resurrection, and then we have the resurrection from the dead. So we need to look at these two things before we can move on. The first that I want to focus on is the resurrection from the dead. This is an end time event that will take place at, at the, the end time judgment. This is when we will see the resurrection of the dead. At the end time, God will restore all things. It's when he will bring about, as you've probably read in scripture, the new creation. 
This is going to happen at the end time. And the resurrection from the dead is included in this end time event. Some other things that are included in this new creation is there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We find this in the book of Revelation. When he creates all things over again, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will also be a new confession. In Philippians 2, uh, there's, a, there's a, a song that was sung um, about Christ. And, and in that song, at the end, it says that he was exalted to the, the right hand of the Father. And he was given the name above all names. That at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How many of you know that right now, not every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord? There's tongues that confess materialistic things and passions and careers and other false gods as the Lord, but the Bible says that at the end time, when God restores all things, there will be one confession on the lips of every person, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the new creation will include a new confession as well. There will also be a new clarity. Paul says that even right now, we only see things in part. But when God restores all things, we will see in full. We will have full clarity. The the veil will be fully lifted from our eyes. And then finally, as I mentioned, there will be the resurrection from the dead. Now, such a great event as this. We're talking about a new earth. We're talking about a new heaven. We're talking about the resurrection of everyone that's ever lived before and has fallen asleep. An event like this requires and equal power to accomplish it. And that power is what, and the power is what it will actually take to accomplish that event. I remember when I was in college, I was a part of uh, Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, and we used to meet on Friday nights at UIC, and we like to do special events uh, from time to time just to switch things up. So we decided one night we were going to have a cafe night after worship. So we met on Friday at 7 o'clock. We had our worship time. Uh, Todd Lucas brought a message. We you know, responded to the message, and then we wrapped up the night by having a cafe night. And so part of that was we brought in all this equipment. Now, keep in mind, we're hipster college students, so cafe night, I mean, we're bringing in French presses, we have like a hundred different teas, espresso machines, I mean, we're just going just all out on this thing. Um, so we're setting everything up, and we had a table set up, and there was an outlet that had four, four outlets on it, four plugs. And we hooked everything up to this outlet. We had an espresso machine. We had like a teapot. Uh, we had a coffee machine, a milk frother. And, you know, we decided to do a test run. We had to make sure it all, you know, ran well. So we had to make a latte and some coffee. And sure enough, the moment we would turn on that, that espresso machine, it short the whole system. You know, you, you could. So then I, would, I unplugged one thing. I unplugged the milk frother and I took it to the other side of the room and plugged that in somewhere else. We tried it again, shorted the system. So I'm like, all right, let's take the tea kettle out. Let's plug it in somewhere else in the room. So we did that, shorted the system again. So then we took out the coffee machine and put that somewhere else in the room. So it was just the espresso machine. And we turned it on and it finally worked. But we realized that we could only plug one thing in per outlet around the room. So what ended up happening was when all the students were coming out, we were making uh, coffee. I was like the lead barista because I worked at Starbucks at the time, so naturally. Um, if someone ordered a latte, I would have to start the espresso here. I would literally go to the other side of the room, kneel down, I would start frothing the milk over here, and then I'd have to run back and get the espresso and then go back and pour the milk in. And it was just, we're running all over the room to try to accomplish one drink because the system couldn't handle it. The power was not sufficient for the event that we were trying to put on. 
The magnitude of an event requires an equivalent power to run it. And this right here is where we learn what it means to participate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that raised Christ from the dead is not only reserved for Jesus. It's not only reserved for the end time resurrection when God raises all things back to life. It's not only reserved for then. It's actually available right now. And if there's one thing that you need to take away today, it's that we have resurrection power right now, today. Look at what Ephesians 1, 18-23 says. This is, this is Paul again. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. The first point that I want to leave you with today is that the Holy Spirit is a part of the inheritance that Christ gave to us. Let's, let's go to the moment when Christ is, is put on the cross. I want you to think about the Roman soldiers that, that followed him all the way to this moment. Um, when Jesus was arrested, he was put into the hands of, of political leaders and, and military leaders uh, to keep an eye on him. They were also there to, to cross-examine him and to question him. And part of this crew was there was Roman soldiers that were keeping their, their eye on, on Jesus. They were keeping him in custody. And, and these soldiers, they also participated in, in, in the questioning, the cross-examining of Jesus. What they would do is they weren't asking him questions, but when they had downtime, apparently they thought it was funny to, to dress Jesus up in a purple robe and give him a staff and put a, a crown of thorns uh, on his head and mock him as king. Because if Jesus was a king, then why was then why was he being arrested like this? Why was he put, being put under the authority of, of the Romans? And so they were mocking him, and they were slapping him and punching him, and they were just abusing him. And these same Roman soldiers took Jesus all the way to the cross. And when they put him on the cross, Scripture says in all the Gospel accounts that the Roman soldiers then divided up what they believed was Jesus' inheritance. They divided up his clothes. They cast lots for him. And what's interesting is the scripture says very clearly that they divided up his clothes the moment they put him on the cross. Now, Jesus wasn't dead yet. He was still alive. He was still breathing. He was near death, but he was still alive. And they already started dividing up his clothes. Why? Because they knew that nobody survived crucifixion. So although he was still breathing, they knew he wasn't coming down from that cross. So we might as well just divide up the inheritance now because he's as good as dead. But let's look at what Jesus told his disciples before he ever got arrested. This is what he says in John chapter 16, verse 7. He tells his disciples, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the Advocate, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, unless I go away, that is what it's going to take for the Holy Spirit to come to you before I can send the Spirit to you. Why, why did he need to go away first? Well, you see, you can't pass on an inheritance until there's death first. So Jesus is saying, you cannot have, I cannot send the Spirit to you, which is your inheritance, until I go away. Until I go away. Death is required first before I can give you the true inheritance. See, the Roman soldiers, they thought they had the inheritance that Jesus had to offer. But little did they know that was just his earthly inheritance. Because after the cross, he poured out his heavenly inheritance, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the true inheritance of Jesus Christ. And that is what we enjoy. That is what we live in today. We have a living inheritance that never runs dry. It never grows old. Now, I thank God I've not received an inheritance yet from anybody. All right. But I do know this. When you receive an inheritance, you start to use it. And I'm assuming that no matter how much it is, every single time you use a portion of that inheritance, you're reminded that it's going to run out at some point. You're reminded that it's finite. There's a limited amount of it. But let me tell you something, church. The heavenly inheritance that you've been given is not finite. It is not limited. And every time that you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not reminded of the fact that it's limited. What are you reminded of? You're reminded of the fact that you have a greater end. You're reminded of the fact that you have a new creation that you are looking forward to. It is, as Jesus said, it's a river. It's a river within you. It's a well that never runs dry. Every time you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are reminded of what is to come. You have a deposit. You have a deposit that is unlimited. How good can the new creation be if the deposit itself is not finite? It's unlimited in its nature itself. We have a living inheritance that never runs dry, that never grows old. And this is only a taste. This is only a taste of what is to come at the end time when all things are restored. Let me take you to the story of the prodigal son. I know that many of you know this story. It's in Luke 15, so I'm not going to read it all the way through, but I do want to give a little bit of an overview. Jesus shares this parable in Luke 15, and he tells the story of a man who had two sons. And this man owned an estate, and one of his sons comes up to him and says, Give me my portion of the estate. So the father does exactly what he asks. And he divides up his portion and he gives it to the son. And the scripture says the son took a few days to collect his things before he was going to go off and make a big mistake, just like uh, Job. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But he gets his things together and he goes off and he squanders all of the inheritance that his father gave him. He squanders it on all kinds of youthful lusts and passions 
uh, materialistic things, entertainment, women, all that. He squanders it all, and it brings him to a place where he has absolutely nothing left, and the only way that he can eat is he eats out of the, the trough that pigs would eat out of. And he eventually makes his way back to his father, and his father receives him with open arms, but I want to focus on that moment when the son came to his father and said, give me my portion of the estate. You see, when he asked his father for that, his actions also said something. He said, you're dead to me. That's what he told his father. When he asked for his inheritance, remember, inheritance only comes at death. So just like the Roman soldiers, to start divvying up Jesus' inheritance before he actually died, they were also saying that's because he's as good as dead, even though he's still breathing now. So for the prodigal son to come up and say, give me my portion of the estate, he was also saying to his father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my inheritance now because you are useless to me. When you receive an inheritance... It sets your course in life, just like it did for the prodigal son. When he received that inheritance, it set him on a certain path that he was going to fulfill. Now let's look at what Romans 6, 8 through 11 says. Paul writes, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, listen, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's flip the script for a second. The moment the son went to the father and said, give me my inheritance, he also said, you're useless to me now. You're useless to me now. Now that I have this inheritance, it has set me on a new course of life. Therefore, I don't need you anymore. Therefore, I don't need you anymore. But if we reverse it, we look, what happens when we receive the inheritance of the Holy Spirit? What happens when we receive the inheritance of the Holy Spirit? Well, now we look at the world and we say, you're useless to me now. We look at sin and we say, you're useless to me now because I've been given a greater inheritance and it has set me on a new path. And this new path, you have nothing to offer me anymore. You are useless to me. There's nothing you can give me that will assist me on what I am going to do. We become useless to the world the moment we receive the inheritance of the Spirit. Actually, just like Christ, it says that He died once for all. He will never die again. And it says now He lives His life solely for God. Solely for God. And that's what happens when we receive the inheritance of the Spirit. We look at the world and say, not you're dead to me. We say, I'm dead to you. We also say, I'm dead to you. The world, look, I'm useless for your purposes, your purposes now. Sin, I'm useless for your purposes now. Because I've been claimed by the king. I've been claimed by the king and he's given me an inheritance. The prodigal son went on and squandered his inheritance on earthly passions. But when we get the inheritance of the spirit, we go on and we utilize that inheritance for heavenly pursuits. 
Resurrection power, it also leads to transformation. Resurrection power leads to transformation. I don't know what your definition of transformation is, but I think it's pretty obvious. Transformation means that it looks different. <laughs> it means that it looks different. I want to propose a, uh, a, a shift in your thinking about two events in Scripture. It's the difference between Lazarus being raised from the dead and the difference between Jesus being resurrected from the dead. If you know in, this, in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We actually talked a little bit about it last week in the way that Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus threw a party for Jesus because of what he did for Lazarus. But if you go to that moment, uh, Lazarus had died. They, they told Jesus beforehand that Lazarus was going to die. Jesus doesn't go right away. He waits, and in that waiting, Lazarus dies. And so he finally arrives, and he finds Mary and Martha weeping because they just lost their brother. And at that moment, Jesus is moved by compassion. That's where we find the shortest passage of Scripture. Jesus wept. He was moved by compassion because of what he saw. And then he goes to the tomb, and that's when he says, Lazarus, come out. Also, just a side note, I remember this. Bob Redford, who used to be a part of this body here, he made a great point one time. He said, uh, Jesus had to say the name Lazarus, because had he not, everyone would have come out of their graves. <laughs> How, isn't that awesome? Man, I heard that like 10 years ago. I, that, that stuck with me right there. But anyway, so Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And so Lazarus comes out of the grave. And it, the scripture says that he was wrapped up in, in uh, his the clothes of death, basically, because they would, they would embalm, they would wrap people, they would anoint them for their death. And so he comes out, and they unwrap the clothes. And here's the thing. Lazarus was raised back to life, but Lazarus was still Lazarus. His eyes were the same color, his hair was the same color, his name was the same. The only thing that was different was that he was alive again. And also, spoiler alert, Lazarus would then go on to die again at some point. He was just resuscitating. Is this a miracle? Absolutely. It's a miracle. Could Jesus do it? Absolutely Jesus could do it. Did he do it? Yes, he did it. But he was resuscitating. He was resuscitating. Now look at what Paul says in Romans 6, 8. He says uh, Jesus died once for all, and he said, and he would never die again. Amen. So there's clearly something different between what happened with Lazarus and what happened with Jesus. Now, we go on, when Jesus was resurrected, something was a little bit different about him. He was the same, but something was a little bit different. It wasn't his eye color, it wasn't the color of his hair. No, sometimes his disciples would stand right in front of him, they couldn't recognize who he was. Some thought he was the gardener. Some would mistake him for just a traveler on the road, even though he was right next to him. they had spent years with him. So sometimes he was unrecognizable by them, even though he was right there in the flesh. Sometimes he would just appear places. He wouldn't use the door anymore. He'd just walk through walls and appear in rooms with them. And sometimes, Scripture says that their hearts would burn within them as he spoke, even though they didn't quite know who he was. Was he still Jesus? Yeah. Was he still in the flesh? Yeah. Was there something different? Yeah, there was something different about him. That's because resurrection is transformation. Resurrection is transformation. Lazarus was resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected. 
Therefore, Jesus was transformed. That means that when we claim that we have the Spirit in our lives, it has to lead to transformation because the Spirit within us is resurrection power. That's transformation power. That's why you show up to work on Monday and people say your name hasn't changed, your hair color hasn't changed, your eye color hasn't changed, but there's something different about you. What is that? Oh, that's resurrection power that's living within me. Because I don't need to wait to heaven to be changed because the power is available in the here and the now. That's why I'm the same, but something's a little bit different about me. Because resurrection power transforms. Now this is what I want to close with today. I promised you it would be short. I want to go back to those Roman soldiers that were dividing up Jesus' earthly inheritance. They were dividing up his clothes. They were dividing up what they didn't know Jesus couldn't take to heaven with him. They thought this is all that Jesus had left. This is all there is. Now after Jesus dies, after he resurrects, no one went looking for those things. No one went looking for the clothes. Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, by the way, can you go find the Roman soldiers who took my clothes? No. The disciples don't go looking for the clothes. No. They left them with the Roman soldiers. As I was studying for this, I feel the Spirit gave me this phrase. And the phrase is just this. The Romans can take it. The Romans can take it. Well, what is that? Those are the things that are part of your old life. Because when God calls you to the new life, you have to leave the old behind. The Romans can take that. No one's going to go looking for it. God's not going to go bring it back. All right? You don't need to go bring it back. The Romans can have it. Well, what is that? You know what that is? Those are the things that are inconsistent with the life that God has called you to. You know what that is? That's, that's your anger issue. The Romans can have that. Because it's inconsistent with what God has called you to. Church, can you stand on your feet right now? I'm going to ask Dan and, and Joe to come up as we close. Because I feel like the Spirit has something that He wants to do here today. He's called us. He's called us to a new life. That is full of the Spirit. And there's things that you are holding on to right now. That God is saying, look, let the Romans have that. Let the Romans have that. Let go of it. Stop holding it. Stop wearing it to work. It doesn't even look good on you. Look, your greatest vice, your greatest sin cannot survive the cross of Christ. Did you know only what is of God makes it through the cross? God is in the resurrection business, not in the resuscitation business anymore. He's not looking just to bring things back to life that have the same name and look the same way. No, no, no. He says, when you receive my spirit, you have resurrection power in you. Things are going to be different. And things are going to be left at the cross. Because they can't follow through anymore. That drinking problem you have. The Romans can have it. The Romans can have it. 
Because it cannot follow through the cross. It cannot follow you through the cross. Paul said that we died with Christ on the cross. Let's just sit in this moment right now. I don't know, I don't know what I don't know what your thing is. But I feel like you're going to leave this place today and you're not going to have it in your hand anymore. You're going to let the Romans go and divide it up because it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not consistent with what God is calling you to any longer. Jesus, right now, I just pray for... I just pray for wisdom right now. I I pray for the spirit of revelation over this place right now. That those old things would be brought to light right now in the name of Jesus. That whatever it is they carried into this place, they would not take it out. No, no, it belongs to the Romans. It belongs to the Romans. Spirit of freedom, we thank you that you're in this place right now. We thank you for resurrection power that flows through our veins. Thank you for the spirit that fills us. Come on, church, don't miss this moment. Can I ask you right now just to bow, bow your heads and close your eyes? If you know right now that the Holy Spirit is saying you need to let go of that. You need to let go of it. I I can't call it out for you. You know what it is. The Spirit is saying to you right now you need to let go of that. I want you to just raise your hand right now. I want you to raise your hand right now. Keep your hand raised. No one's looking. I promise you no one's looking right now. You can put your hands down. struggling with whatever that thing was that you raised your hand for. You've been struggling with it for years. And you thought to yourself, I'm too tangled up in this thing to get out of it. And I'm hesitant to call out what it is. I I believe the Spirit just told me what it is. But I, I want you to know right now, you are free in the name of Jesus. You are free in the name of Jesus. You've been called to a life of purity. That's the inheritance that you've been given. And what you are walking in now is not consistent with that. And you are free in the name of Jesus. Walk into purity. Walk into purity.
like last week, if, if you're being ministered to, the altars are going to be open. There's some deacons here, there's pastoral staff here that will, will pray with you. But let me just close out in prayer and consider yourself dismissed after that. But the altars will remain open. Jesus, we just thank you for what you have done here today. Jesus, all the honor and all the glory goes to you, Jesus. It is only your spirit, it is only your spirit that can set us free. And we will not claim that it's of our own power, Jesus. We thank you for the inheritance that you have given to us. Your precious Holy Spirit, which is a deposit that is guaranteeing, guaranteeing our participation when you create all things new. Once again, we thank you that you're creating things new right now. You're creating things new right now. Thank you that we speak to a king that's alive and well.